been in a series through the book of Malachi just this week and next, and we are done. We'll be beginning a new series, but I want to get into the Word of God today. Malachi chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, saith the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, saith the Lord, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will, somebody say I will, rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations, amen, all nations will call you blessed, for you will be delightful in the land. Heavenly Father, I ask you to anoint the word today. Lord, as always, I must decrease so that you can increase. Lord, may I be true to the word and true to your spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As I've taught you the past number of weeks, Malachi was a post-exilic prophet. They were already in exile because of their disobedience. God is about to go silent 400 years. They are at the point of decision, and they don't respond appropriately. And because of that, silence comes to the nation and to the land. It's one of our minor prophets. And you notice in the text today, yet another rhetorical question. And we've had these rhetorical questions throughout this series and in every chapter of the book of Malachi. First one, how have you loved us? God says, I have loved you. And then they say, but how have you loved us, God? He says, you have despised my name, but how have we despised your name, God? He says, you have dishonored me, but how have you dishonored the people? And how have we dishonored you? You have wearied me, says God, but how have we wearied you? And today... He says, return to me, and I will return to you. And they respond again, the people of God, how shall we return to you? And he says, you have robbed me. And again, this rhetorical question, but how have we robbed you? It reminds me of church people. You know, we live in a culture today where we don't know how to admit when we're wrong. We blame everybody and everything on the mess that we're in. And we're all guilty of it, me included. It's very difficult for a person governed by the flesh under the curse of Adam to admit 
that they are a sinner, that they've blown it, that they made a mistake, that they said something they shouldn't have. It's far easier to blame someone for our circumstances. Tithing is a kingdom investment. It is an investment that pays dividends. It's a kingdom investment that will live long after you are gone. God commanded us in Deuteronomy chapter 26 to worship him with the tithe. Tithe means 10% of your increase, of your income. It means to obey God. This principle became paramount in the New Testament church and in the Old Covenant. But the principle came about even before the law of God. Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek long before the law was established, according to the book of Genesis. Jacob, after God had touched him at Bethel, and transformed his life, the first thing Jacob did in the book of Genesis was to make a covenant to God to give God 10% of his increase. From that point forward, Leviticus 27 teaches us that a tithe is 10% of everything from the land and from what you own, grain, fruit, herd, flock, wealth. All of it belongs to the Lord. So it's okay to have nice things. The Bible says that God has blessed us and he's given us all things to richly enjoy. God is not a mean God that doesn't want you to have nice things, but he wants you to honor him in intimacy and obedience. And he says, listen, live off the 90. But as an act of worship and obedience and covenant, I want 10% so that the work of the ministry will continue, so that the kingdom will be advanced, so that the people of God will be taken care of, so that the church won't fail or falter or go under. I was at a board meeting with a number of older pastors. I was the youngest pastor in the room and at this board meeting, Dr. John Avanzini, who's in his 80s, a powerful preacher, faithful man of God that like our pastor emeritus began Baptist and then the Holy Ghost messed him up. And he started advancing God's kingdom. Really, he came before my father. He was right between John Osteen and my father. And Dr. Avanzini began to share with the board about the state of the church and in that meeting he began to cry and he talked about R.W. Schambach who you may not have heard of him but he was the spiritual father of Rod Parsley. Many of you have heard of Rod Parsley from Ohio. He's been here many times. He's a friend of this ministry. And Dr. Avanzini started to share about the life of R.W. Schambach and the great church that he built in Philadelphia right across from the old Eagle Stadium, wonderful church. Friends, I stand before you today to tell you that that wonderful church that the people of God built is now a mosque. Because the people decided that 
continuing the work of God wasn't important. That attending the house of God wasn't important. That continuing a legacy that brought about change for over 50 years, that helped the poor, led people to Christ, birthed miracles, birthed churches, that the house of God was no longer important. And so a group of Islamic people decided that they wanted it, and they took it. We're living in dark days, my friend, and we must renew our fervor and our passion about the things of God, particularly the house of God and the work of God. Someone's got to step up and lead a family. Someone's got to step up and say, the house of God is what we do. It's where we go. The principles of God are not optional. We obey them as a family because we believe what the word of God says. And we are grateful for what Jesus did, saving our souls, healing our bodies, buying back our freedom on Calvary. You have to be concerned for the future. You have to be concerned for people around you that may not know Jesus Christ. Church is not about entertainment, although it can be a part of it. Church is not about special events. Church is not even about relationships. Those are all byproducts of passion. When's the last time you led someone to Jesus? When's the last time you shared your faith? When's the last time you did what the Bible says to do? Friend, we've got to get back to the things of God. It's not my job to grow this church. It's our job. I tell you, when we travel and do missions, we see people sit in the rain for hours to hear the gospel. See people hungry for the things of God. And I pray that Chattanooga would never become like the rest of the world where church is just something we roll our eyes at that we don't care about anymore, that we're not faithful to anymore. We must be faithful, not just in our attendance, but in our giving. Tithes were used in the old covenant to pay the priest to maintain the house of worship and minister to the people. Every three years, the tithe was used to provide a feast, not for the poor, but for God's people. Because in the book of James, it says that the church should take care of the people of the household of faith first. So what does that mean practically? The single moms that are members of Abbott's house come before other single moms that aren't. Let me, let me, let me make this a little bit more plain. A, a hungry person that's in covenant with us takes precedence over a hungry person that's not. Come on, y'all, y'all, y'all asleep today. A person that needs assistance we are to take care of because we are connected. They're part of our family. In the New Testament, the book of Acts, when the early church began, they didn't just give 10%. They gave everything. I mean, they gave their clothes, their money, their livestock. They went all in and they took care of one another. Because of Jesus, we don't have to do that, but we need to understand how we were birthed. We were birthed in sacrifice. We were birthed in a surrender and willingness to risk 
their own lives so that we could stand here today and lift up the name above every name, Jesus Christ. People were martyred, killed, went hungry for the freedom that we have today. It's been going on, this tithing, since the beginning of time. Even our early church fathers, Chrysostom, Jerome, they were advocates of tithing. The principle has not changed. Have certain preachers perverted the principle 100%? Many have repented of it as of late. Certainly the principle has been perverted. Certainly the truths of God's word has been twisted by some. But just because a few perverted it doesn't mean the principle is still not valid. The tithe opens heaven. In grace, you don't have to tithe. And I want to say this publicly as your pastor. Ronnie Phillips, the human being, does not give a flip whether you tithe or not. Let me say that to those in the back. Ronnie Phillips, the human being, does not give a flip if you tithe or not. I don't care. God does. And it's my job to teach you the truth. What you do with the truth is between you and God. I'm going to love you either way. But let me tell you something. I don't teach this because I have to. I don't teach this because I want to. I teach this because it's the truth of God's word. And it has opened up the windows of heaven for me and my family. It has blessed me, this principle, beyond measure. It blessed me before I was a pastor. It has blessed my friends. It has blessed so many of you. I could literally walk off the stage and let our members come up here one by one and give testimony of what God has done in their lives because they've been true to the tithe. The tithe opens heaven. The law does not save. Because of what Jesus did, you've been saved and set free if you accept the gift of grace. Tithing will not save you, nor will it make you a millionaire if you don't have a plan or a dream. But it will protect you, and it will bless you, and it will open heaven over you so that you have access to the Lord. The law doesn't save, nor does the tithe, but it is the standard by which we measure our devotion to the Father. So it says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. So I want to focus today on the phrase, open heaven. What does it mean to live under an open heaven? Doesn't that sound pretty cool? How many of you would like to live under an open heaven? If you're saved, I hope so. An open heaven first is a place of purity. If you're going to have immediate access to the throne room of God, you can't be impure. You have to walk in holiness, not perfection, but you better be cleansed from all unrighteousness. If you're going to have that kind of access to the throne room of God, it's first a place of purity. Number two, it's a place of passion. I don't know how much of God you got, but you've got all you want. 
I don't know how much of God you've got, but you've got all you want. If you call on him, he'll answer. If you try him in this, he will come through. If you get in the secret place of the Most High, he'll be there. And he'll give you things that can't be explained. An open heaven, a place of purity, it's a place of passion. It's a place of protection in prayer. You know, if you're walking with God in a spiritual Psalms 91 manner, and you're walking in intimacy, you will know things other people don't know. You will have things other people don't have. You will see things other people can't see. You will experience things that sound weird to the natural man because the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man, the person out there that doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't understand the kingdom, they don't understand spiritual matters. And I pray that we never come in here acting like the natural man. This is God's embassy. It's his place. It's the house of God. And when we come in to the house of God, we need to be led by the Spirit of God, believing God for a great and mighty outpouring of his Spirit. So this open heaven is the secret place of the Most High that David told us about. It's where we are able to sit with him in heavenly places. Living under an open heaven is all about the kingdom. When you seek ye first the kingdom, a heaven opens. When you pray thy kingdom come, heaven opens. This secret place is a place of immunity from the enemy. How would you like it that if every attack the enemy hurled at you ricocheted back at him? Listen, I've seen it and I live in that. Not all the time, but when you're in the spirit of God, there are times where the enemy will try to attack you and it'll ricochet on him and his kingdom of darkness. And you'll just keep moving, keep advancing, keep doing what God has created you to do without the enemy hindering you or stopping what God wants to do. So three things. An open heaven means unlimited access. In the book of Genesis, there was a deceiver and a liar named Jacob that would later be named Israel. And this Jacob was shady to say the least. He stole his brother's birthright and later stole his brother Esau's blessing. Somebody say shady. He was shady. That's what his name even meant in the Hebrew, deceiver, liar. You know, people kill me in, that don't know the Lord. You know, when, when some person of God makes a mistake, the media, most of them are atheists. You know, and they've done far worse than the people they're writing about and judging. Then other people start chiming in. I had a pastor friend get divorced and I was looking on social media and this lady been divorced four times and you'd have thought she was Jesus judging him. And Jacob was a deceiver. He went about things the wrong way. 
and he dresses up as his brother and he slips in and he gets the blessing from his father Isaac. And as soon as his brother finds out, man, Esau is hot. Esau wants to kill him. And Esau, we know, was a man's man. He was a hunter. He, he had the ability to kill his brother. And he said, as soon as daddy dies, I'm going to kill him. He's a dead man. Well, Rebecca, the mother of both of them, she kind of favored Jacob. She said, Jacob, you got to get out of here. She said, you need to go travel up towards Bethel, and you need to find my brother, Laban. And you need to live with him until Esau calms down. Otherwise, he's going to kill you, rip your limbs apart. So Jacob comes from Beersheba all the way to Bethel, which is 10 miles north of Jerusalem. So what that tells me is Jacob is booking it. Like he's picking up some speed. And he gets to this place called Bethel, which in Hebrew means the house of God. So you can draw any comparisons that you want to compare. But it means house of God. And he grabs a rock for a pillow. Bethel is a dry place. There's very little water there. There's a few wells. It's a very rocky place. It looks like a land of death. And he makes it to Bethel and he grabs a rock for a pillow and he lays down and all of a sudden God opens heaven in a dream. Remember, we're talking about an open heaven. And it says in Genesis 28, beginning with verse 12, then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set upon the earth and its top reached to heaven and there the angels of God were ascending and descending. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Now, I want to stop right there for just a minute because at this point, Jacob had a bit of an orphan spirit. Jacob was always trying to prove himself. He was always trying to strive for the blessing lie and deceive for the blessing. But now he's having a moment with God that he's really not worthy of because his character hasn't really lived up to the blessing. Can I get an amen? amen? See, sometimes the character doesn't live up to the blessing. That's why we have grace. And in this revelation, all things come to fruition for him because now the God of his father and grandfather is now pouring out a special blessing just for him. You could imagine what he's going through. And it says, I'm going to bless you and your descendants will be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Jacob wakes up from his sleep and says, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. 
I love the verse there where it says, Surely the Lord is in this place, but I did not know it. See, if you judge something by the natural eye, you might miss God in it. I mean, in the natural, all he saw was a bunch of rocks and no water, no provision, no livestock. See, if you come into church with your natural eye, you may miss the fact that the Lord is in this place. If you come into this church with a critical spirit, you may miss the fact that the Lord is in this place. If you come into a church wanting to find something wrong with it, you may miss the fact that surely the Lord is in this place. And it goes on to say, Then Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. This is what happens when God changes your life. In the new covenant, when God saves you. But listen to this. Even though he had sin in his life, even though he'd been a liar and a deceiver, God still came to him and opened heaven for him and gave him a generational promise. And his response to that is to take the rock that he slept on and build a memorial out of it, pour oil on it, and name it Bethel. Then Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tithe to you. Now, this wasn't have to, this was want to. If God has changed you or blessed you, when you know that you don't deserve that or worthy of that, then it's not that you have to, you should want to. If you were born in the blessing, you ought to be willing to be a blessing. See, entitlement is not about feeling like you're owed everything. It's about being unwilling to give back to those who weren't given what you were given. Jacob's dream. God brought about an open heaven over Jacob. And it brought unlimited access. An open heaven, my friend, brings unlimited access. For Jacob, it meant angelic protection. It meant a release of resources, food, clothing, and protection. It meant blessing. And not only blessing for him and his seed, but a blessing that would carry on for generation after generation. The promise of God's presence. Number two, an open heaven means unhindered revelation. So first, unlimited access to the kingdom of God. Number two, unhindered revelation. See, those of us that walk in the spirit understand that God will reveal things to you that he hasn't revealed to other people. God will speak to you where only you can hear it and he will show you things that only you will understand. So don't try to explain it to everyone because they'll be like, 
She's weird. Ezekiel chapter 1. He was among the captives by the river Shebar. And it says the heavens were open and he saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel, the priest, son of Buzi in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chabar. And the hand of the Lord was upon him there. See, God had a word for his people who were in captivity, who were under Babylonian control. And he raised up this crazy prophet and he opened heaven and began to speak things to him and give him a prophetic message for that time. And we are still unpacking the prophecy that came from that open heaven. I mean, just look at the book of Ezekiel. We learn about the fall of Satan. We learn about the end times, how Russia will come to ruin before the battle of Armageddon. We learn about the rivers of revival and restoration to God's kingdom and the people of Israel. All of that because someone was willing to cry out to God. Someone was willing to do what had to be done to hear and receive from an open heaven. See, if you want to hear from God, you're going to have to pay a price in your life, in the area of sacrifice, in your actions, your behavior, and by all means, in the principles. Yes, if you want to hear from God, you're going to have to be obedient to him. If you want to experience intimacy with him, God will give you revelation knowledge that can be used in the here and now, but friend, you got to ask for it. How many of you believe God can do it? How many of you have heard God? How many of you have felt God? Well, give God a shout then. Let me tell you, he can do it. Number three, an open heaven reveals his undeniable affirmation. All of these things unlocked by way of the tithe, but an open heaven reveals his undeniable affirmation. I preach it this way. In the Christian life, there are three things, and it's a process. The first thing that you've got to understand in the Christian life is, according to Ephesians, you are accepted into the beloved, that Jesus loves you, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and that you've been accepted by God. That defeats all identity issues when you understand first you've been accepted. Next is what I'm about to talk about, affirmation. When you understand that not only have you been accepted, you've been affirmed by God, that he approves of you, then comes unlimited access. When you understand that you've been accepted and approved and that God loves you, then you can love him back and then a relationship is formed and then comes the open heaven. This is what it says of Jesus in Luke chapter three. We quote this all the time when we're baptizing people. The people were baptized. Jesus wanted to be baptized by the forerunner, John the Baptist, the one that came like Elijah after 400 years of silence. Jesus makes his way to this radical and he's baptized by immersion, by the way. And when he's baptized, the heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended 
in bodily form like a dove on him, and the voice came from heaven, and the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So an open heaven reveals his undeniable affirmation. As Jesus was praying and being obedient, heaven opened. Heaven opened when he identified publicly with the move of God outside of the religious establishment. Let me say that again for those in the back not listening who need coffee. The heaven opened for Jesus when he identified publicly with the move of God that was going on outside of the religious establishment. When we pray, we can't be denied. When we speak the oracles of God, we can't be denied. When we tithe, we can't be denied. When we're faithful, we can't be denied. When we love the people Jesus loved, we can't be denied. When we go the extra mile, we can't be denied. When we believe God created everyone and loves them and they all have a purpose and a gift, we can't be denied. When we're faithful over a few things, God will make us ruler over many. You see, I'm looking at some people and I just wonder if God's ever come through for you. Has God ever done it? Because let me tell you, when you realize who you are in Christ, that you've been accepted and you've been affirmed, then that is all you need to advance God's kingdom. When the Holy Ghost is welcome, we can't be denied. In other words, it doesn't matter if they've rejected you, friend. It doesn't matter if you've been rejected. Why? Because you've been accepted into the beloved. So which report are you going to believe? The rejection of man or the acceptance by God? I don't know about you, but I'm going to live off the acceptance and affirmation of, from God, not the approval of man. And I'll close here. Last point. An open heaven is uncountable provision. Now, here's the part everybody's been excited about, the whole message. I'm being sarcastic. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, saith the Lord, if, it, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes. He will not destroy the fruit of your ground. The vine will not fail. It will bear fruit and all nations will call you blessed. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this is about surrender. So when heaven opens, we are offered an uncountable provision, protection, and intimacy with God. So when we surrender, what happens? Curses are broken. Been teaching on Wednesday night that a generational curse in the old covenant would last three generations. Did you know in the old covenant that a blessing would last at least three generations as well? But it had to be renewed in the third generation. So the third generation had to make a decision, are they gonna continue down the pathway of the Lord or are they gonna go the other direction? I was thinking about my grandmother Phillips and my grandfather. I've been invited January to go preach around the world on Daystar Network, our friends, the Lambs. Marcus passed from COVID and my father had been on there many times. I traveled with him a couple times when he was there and I'm going on in January to preach 
around the world. I'm honored and excited to do that. Hope you're excited for me. Um, but years ago, I heard a story that has stuck with me from the Lambs. Their first television station was a little television station in Montgomery, Alabama. Well, that's where my family's from. Montgomery, Alabama. That's where my parents met. That's where all my grandparents lived. And one of their first little television partners there in Montgomery, Alabama, when they were broke, was my grandmother, Gladys Phillips, who worked at TJ Maxx her whole life. And she gave $10 a month. And they never forgot it. Here I am, the third generation. And I think of how many people's lives have been changed over the years and how much favor God has put on my father's ministry and my ministry. Could it be, because my grandmother, who didn't have hardly any money, decided to come in covenant with a family she believed in for $10 a month. And now all her kids, I'm not ashamed to tell you, they're all wealthy. And they're all still married and they're all still blessed. So you can't convince me that giving an offering or giving a tithe is religion. It's spiritual. It opens up the windows of heaven. Abundance comes, curses are broken, family lines are changed. The portal for favor is poured out when we are faithful to do what God's word says to do. The devourer is rebuked. You can let God have it or the world will take it. Nations will be blessed. What would our lives and our homes, what would our church look like under an open heaven? A ladder of continual access, unbroken communication where we hear from the Father on a regular basis, approval and affirmation and provision. It says, prove me now in this. Prove me now. Prove to claim his promise. Prove me in this, test me in this. So I'm not here to beat you up today but I'm here to tell you this principle is still valid. It will still bless you. And God is still on the throne. And you've been accepted into the beloved. You've been affirmed by the Father. And if you understand those two things, you now have access. And for some of us, we need to keep the main thing the main thing. And we need to begin to make kingdom investments that our children's children will walk in. I challenge you today to be obedient. Do whatever God tells you to do. Psalms 112 says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. In other words, if you're faithful, grandmother, grandfather, your grandchildren and great-grandchildren will have great stature and standing on this earth. You may not have got to walk in it, but they'll walk in it. If you're faithful, they will walk in the favor of God. 
His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. His righteousness endures forever. And I love this part. Unto the upright there arises light in darkness. He is gracious, full of compassion and righteousness. Surely he will never be shaken. Verse 6, the righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. So by being faithful now, your children's children will have access and have an opportunity to continue that legacy in the kingdom of God because of the sacrifice you make now. I believe it with all of my heart. Why do I believe it? Because God didn't give us a tenth. He didn't owe us anything, but he gave his very best. The one created in flesh in his likeness, his son, Jesus. He could have given us his leftovers. He could have just by the word coming from his mouth, given us a pathway, but no, he did it through a sacrificial seed, his very best, Jesus Christ. And listen, if you're in here under the sound of my voice or you're watching online and you don't know where you'd spend eternity if you died today, first thing you need to do is accept that seed, that gift. And what I would ask everybody, bow your head and close your eyes, and I want to give you an opportunity for those that need Jesus. He came as a sacrificial seed, fulfillment of prophecy. He got up out of the grave on a third day, commissioned his disciples, and ascended to heaven, and is coming back. And he loves you so much. And if you're lost or have sin in your life and you need Jesus, just pray this prayer with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus. That's right, dear Lord Jesus. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I accept your gift. I accept your gift. Come into my heart, Jesus, and save me. Come into my heart, Jesus, and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me for your glory. If you prayed that prayer, the Bible says your sins are forgiven you. And the Bible says that his spirit will come upon you so that you may live under an open heaven. But for many of you in the room, you're saved. But you haven't been faithful to do the things that God has asked you to do. And so what I want to do today, I'm going to come down by myself for now. I'm going to ask Brother Ron Jones to help me. I want Brother Ron on my right, Dr. Lee on my left. I'm going to put two baskets, to one to my right, one to my left. Over here, Dr. Lee, I'll put you over on this other side. If you want to sow a seed of commitment to say, look, I don't do this tithe stuff, but here's a seed of commitment that I'm gonna start somewhere before the new year. I'm gonna start making this a priority in my life and trust God. One of our friends in this city, great church, Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm not a competitive guy, I celebrate great ministries. And I'll never forget years ago in the 80s, they had a pastor there as a mentor of mine 
And he told that church at the time that very, in very difficult financial struggles at that time, he, he preached six weeks on tithing. Y'all would leave if I did it one more week. But he did it six weeks in a row at Silverdale Baptist. And he made a covenant with the people that if they tithed for a whole year and God didn't pay them back, the church would refund their money. That's a true story. And you know, at the end of the year, nobody, nobody asked for a refund that started. And now they're probably one of the wealthiest churches in 100 miles. Let me tell you, it starts with a commitment, Abba's house. So I'm going to have you stand on your feet today. If you need prayer, salvation, want to join the church, I want to pray for you. If you want to come kneel at the altar, you're welcome. If you want to come sow a seed to Ron or Dr. Lee, they'll pray over you when you come. Maybe you want to go to the kiosk. Maybe you want to do it online. Maybe you don't want to do it, but you want to go home and pray about it. Whatever the Spirit tells you to do is what we want you to do. But I want to make myself available to pray over anybody that's sick, needs Jesus. We'll do that today. You do what God tells you to do. Heavenly Father, seal this with your spirit. Lord, I pray that you'd stir some watching online and in the house to try you in this. To call your hand forth. And Lord, we declare that this will be a house with an open heaven over it. A house of grace with an open heaven over it, Lord where people come for healing and miracles, to launch businesses, to find their purpose, to advance God's kingdom, where people who are weary from the walk and the travel will come to find rest from religion and rest from this world. We speak it prophetically, Lord, that our best days are in front of us. In Jesus' name.